Welcome to another episode of the Peak Potential Success Show. My name is Fong Chua. I'm an entrepreneur, business strategist, real estate investor, speaker, and also best-selling author. And every single day, I help others unlock their potentials and guide them to succeed. Today on the show, we interview another amazing guest. On the show, we talk to multimillionaires, uh, business uh, entrepreneurs, uh, in, uh, celebrities, uh, singers, performers, artists, uh, and just to find out how to become successful, how they are able to overcome adversity and their keys to success. And this next guest is definitely somebody who could add value to that. Um, I connected with this person uh, a few weeks ago. And well, when I went to a deep dive, this guy is absolutely amazing when, with what he does. He is a real estate investor. He's known all the different strategies. He's applied all the different techniques and he's very successful in all of them from foreclosures to wholesaling to buy, fix and flip, buy and holds, all those great things. He's done it. He's done it well. Uh, but something he's really, really good at is dealing with um, uh, bank notes, mortgage notes, and also investing in the States, being somebody in Canada. He's also helped a lot of his clients do the same thing and become successful uh, investors as well. So please welcome real estate investor, Mr. Cal Ewing. How's it going today? Hey, to be here. I'm doing well. Thank you for your, your time and spending some, uh, uh, some of your valuable time with us and uh, also adding some value. Um, now, for, for somebody yourself, uh, you've done so well in real estate. You've worked with so many different people who are also very successful in real estate. So tell me, did you wake up uh, one day and go, you know what? I'm going to be a great investor and that's my future. How, how did you become <laughs> that? <laughs> Not quite. I actually woke up one day and I got talked into network marketing and I woke up and said, I'm going to be the biggest network marketer ever. And that quickly failed. But... <laughs> Uh, as part of that, uh, a guy named Robert Kiyosaki was part of their presentations to help, you know, kind of get people interested in cash flow and business owning and that kind of thing. And so they had a lot of quotes from Robert Kiyosaki. And I was like, that guy seems really smart. So I read his book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And then once I read that book, I was like, okay, I'm going to be a real estate investor. That's the only thing I want to do. So it took two nights to <laughs> come to that realization. Yeah. What was the biggest uh, reason that uh, network marketing didn't work for you? Um, honestly, it could have been a lack of leadership just because I was I was like right out of, well, I was in university, so I didn't really know a lot. Um, I worked really, really hard. I achieved kind of my goals that I needed to for myself, the level I needed to of recruitment or whatever, but the people below me did nothing or very little. <laughs> and so I just stalled out and I got really frustrated trying to motivate these people to do what I did, but not happening and i eventually just was like you know what real estate seems way cooler <laughs> <laughs> um i i know that you were you weren't actually just a, like a real estate investor or a network marketer to start off with you you have an education in geology yes how did that start like for me i i have a background in engineering and yep. the, the one the one class i hated the most was geology I'm what? like, I don't want to go in there and touch We're done here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, we got into the class and the first thing they did was like, okay, now touch this dirt, uh, taste this sample. I'm like, taste? I'm not going to do that. I'm like, yeah, I'm no, done. no more geology for me. So for you, what was it about dirt <laughs> and geology that went, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, well, my first year of general studies, not knowing what I wanted to do, uh, I kept hearing about this class called Rocks for Jocks, <laughs> which was like a very basic geology course for people that weren't in science. And everyone said it was so fun and an easy way to get a good grade. So I took that and I was just amazed. Like it was just the most incredible thing, learning about volcanoes and plate tectonics and all the cool things about geology. And at that point, I didn't know what I wanted to take. So I thought, well, this is a great starting point. Let's see where this leads. And of course, growing 
up in Alberta. You know, you know how we're in the middle of oil and gas central, plus mining and everything else that's around in Canada. So it just seemed like a, a good career choice because there was a lot of jobs at the time and they paid well. So that's what I pursued. But as, as much as I like geology, I didn't know if that's what I wanted to do for a living. Uh, once I graduated from university, I had a bunch of field jobs where I was out in the middle of nowhere working on well sites. I was up in the Arctic working on a uranium project in the middle of nowhere. And it was kind of adventurous and interesting, but I knew that I didn't want to spend my life in minus 40 weather away from family and away from civilization. And so I knew I needed something else that had, you know, similar pay to what geology would be, but allowed me to have more freedom. Um, and that's where I clung to the idea of real estate, even while I was finishing my geology degree. I thought I immediately, once I read Rich Dad, I thought, you know what, I'll do my geology as much as I can, but my main goal is to get enough passive income so that I don't have to be a geologist if I don't want to. I don't have to be anything if I don't want to. I have enough passive income to live the life I want and travel and, and all the rest. And so that's how that decision came about. Nice. Yeah. Uh, another reason I couldn't do geology was when you look through those two, at the two lenses to see it 3D in different contours. I'm like, yeah, I can't see that either. I'm not doing very well in this class. <laughs> <laughs> I think you found your way either way. Sounds like you're doing pretty good. Yeah, I went to uh, Central. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so for yourself, uh, the moment you collected your library of purple books and yep. you were able to become successful in, in real estate, what was that very first deal that got you into uh, saying, you know what, I can make this work? Well, I can even backtrack a bit. So our conversation we had before we started the recording, it sounds like we actually both went to some of the same rich dad events way back in 2010 or 2009 or whatever, which is kind of cool. And I don't know if you realize this, but I found that a lot of what they were teaching in rich dad was more American based because obviously they're an American company and the laws are very different and what you can do um, even state by state is a lot different than in Canada. And so I struggled. I didn't really have a mentor once I took all of the, the rich dad courses, but I was still fired up, but I found a lot of the strategies didn't really work in Canada. Not to say that you can't be successful in real estate as a Canadian, but what they were teaching me didn't seem to apply. And so I felt kind of lost and didn't really know what to do. And then I, I had a mentor that I just happened to stumble upon just from mutual connections. And he was a Canadian as well, who was investing down in Vegas. And this is right when, you know, all of the, the wave of foreclosures, the real estate market had tanked and Las Vegas especially was suffering just a huge uh, rate of foreclosures. And so he was actually investing in Vegas as a Canadian, and he was teaching people how to do the same. He was teaching other Canadians uh, what to do, what, how to set up your entities, um, all of just basically what you need to know in order to be a real estate investor in the U.S. as a Canadian. And so I ended up going down to Vegas uh, and learning from him, meeting his team. And that's how I got my start. I actually utilized his team. He basically connect me, connected me with all the pieces that were needed and myself and a couple other people that we'd pooled our funds together, we bought our first foreclosure at that point using his team. So we didn't really know what we were doing, but we had the, the guidance and the knowledge of the people that were on the ground. Mm -hmm. And so we bought our first deal and uh, we did a, just a you know lipstick remodel and sold it. Didn't make a lot of money. We only made like 10 grand on the deal, but it was amazing. I just couldn't believe we pulled it off. And especially when I didn't know what I was doing really. And so that really got me in. I was like, okay, so I've done one. I had you know people holding my hand. This is really cool. Uh, the next year we did another one in Phoenix, which had suffered similar foreclosures. And it was kind of the same strategy. And we did well on that deal. 
But what I didn't actually like is that I was just kind of the money person and I, I wasn't learning a lot because I wasn't on the ground finding the deals, negotiating. I was just kind of letting them do the work. And what I wanted was to be a real estate investor and, you know, learn the whole craft, get boots on the ground, build my own teams, get dirty with it, go looking at houses and, and really learn the business inside and out. And so that's where I kind of took my own lead and I started working in, in Houston, Texas on my own, built my own team and got going from there. Wow. I mean, like you, you absolutely wanted to be right there where all the dirt was. So you can, yeah, some people yeah. want, yeah. <laughs> well, some people like the passive thing, like the turnkey investments, cause they, yeah. you know, they've got a career and they're busy and those are great. Uh, but I wanted to actually be the one that was finding the deals either for myself or other people. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned a few things there about investing in the States and, and having that team together. Um, for you, you found a group of people or a mentor who you're able to kind of tag team with or kind of joint venture with on a deal uh, for people who wants to do something like invest in the States. Is that kind of like the very first step that they should be like where they find somebody else to kind of tag team with learn the ropes first before they start their own team? Or would you go, you know what, build those relationships, start that team first so that you could do it on your own kind of thing. Yeah, I think it depends on what kind of person you are. Um, but there are some very good turnkey companies. And so what I mean by turnkey, these are organizations or, or businesses that their job is to find properties. And what they'll typically do is they'll renovate them. Uh, they'll put in a tenant, they'll provide property management, and then they just start looking for buyers. So then you come in, say you want to be a landlord. Maybe you're interested in I don't know, Atlanta or something like that. You'd buy the house from them, but it would come with a tenant with good property management in place. And all you really had to do was put the money in and now you're the owner of the property and it's all taken care of for you. Mm -hmm. Now, in those situations, obviously, you're going to maybe not have the biggest return because it's going to be marked up because of the work that the company did. But it's a really great way to get your feet wet and kind of know the basics, but you're still safe because you've got, like I said, those professionals looking out for you. I think that's a good place to start. Um, but otherwise, if you're looking at just doing it on your own, I really recommend talking to attorneys, talking to real estate agents, um, inspectors, contractors, talking to other real estate investors in that market and just learning as much as you can and making as many connections of with industry professionals as you can so that you can rely on them so you don't make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find that one of the biggest hurdles that people have in investing in the States is having that competent team. And that trustworthy team that they can rely on over over the border and go back and forth and whatnot. Now, in order to kind of fast track that, you would then find somebody who you can work with who already has a, a team in place, who's already done all that. So then the next hurdle that people would have is, well, how do I trust this person or how do I trust this group of people? Um, for you, what would your due diligence be? If you were to go out there finding a partner, finding a joint venture uh, group or whatever it is, so that you go, you know what, I've done enough due diligence to know that this is the one to go with and uh, to know that my money is not at risk. Yeah, I think part part of it depends on what type of person it is. So if it's say an attorney, um, you want to be looking, getting recommendations from other real estate investors that have worked with them, that speak highly of them, that have done a lot of deals. If it's a real estate investor that maybe you're partnering with, you want to make sure that they've actually done deals. So you might want to talk with, you know, some of the people that they've worked with before, other investors in the city that know them. Because if if someone has a bad track record, the other investors in the market are going to know about it, right? So, and 
the internet, there's so many ways, like Bigger Pockets, for example, which is a real estate investing platform. A lot of times, if there's someone that's done a bad job or rip people off or whatever, there'll be comments in those threads in the chats and stuff that you can just easily find by searching their name. Um, and then, you know, Google ratings and those kind of things, Yelp, um, biz different business rating platforms, you know, with five-star ratings and that kind of thing as well. Um, so those are what I would, I would do. I would also definitely interview them and just try to get the vibe from them. You know, do you feel like this is a person you can connect with? Do they sound knowledgeable? Do they feel trustworthy? Because sometimes your gut is really what you need to go with. If you just don't have a gut feeling, a good gut feeling about a person, you're probably right. Even if the, maybe they are honest, but maybe you're just not going to get along with them. Um, but I think mostly it's just, again, talking to other local professionals and they can recommend. So if you're talking to different people and the same person keeps being rec uh, recommended to you, that's a good sign. For you, how long was that process from from uh, working with somebody to starting your own team? Um, well, again, I've always had mentors. That's another important thing, I think, is always work with mentors, not necessarily like partnering with them on deals, but having someone that's experienced that's already done what you want to achieve. And I've always done that every step of the way, um, different strategies I've wanted to learn. I've always had a mentor, whether that's one-on-one -on -one coach or just someone where I bought like a training package where I learned from their videos and everything. But I've always had some kind of mentor that I was able to follow. And a lot of times they'll be able to recommend the right people just because they've done the work or, you know, they're ahead of you, right? So they already know who works and who doesn't. And so I've a lot of times um, learned to lean on those people that they recommend to me already. Um, and then the other thing is you can't let that paralyze you though. So if you don't quite have what you think is the best team in place, I don't think it's worth just stopping. You know, a lot of people use that as an excuse. It's like, well, I don't, I don't know if I have the right team. They might not be trustworthy. Everything I've done in my business, I've, I've had to push off from a, a certain, wherever I was at, right? So uh, my first boots on the ground guy in Houston was a guy that I knew from my fantasy baseball league, <laughs> but I'd, I'd actually met him before we'd like done all the nerdy baseball trades and stuff, but he lived in, in the city he, his whole life. So he knew the neighborhoods really well. He had a little bit of real estate background, not a lot, but I knew him enough as a, as a friend that it was a place to start from and it eventually didn't work. You know, our relationship fell apart. But it was a way for me to get going, buying houses, learning, and then growing. You know, you got to just take whatever's in, in front of you, use that as a jump off spot to the next spot. So maybe you don't have the right team now, but it's going to lead you to the right team if you just take action and go with what's available to you and not, you know, analysis, analysis paralysis right. preventing you from taking action. No, there's a lot of people out there who goes, okay, I really want to do this. Uh, I, I'm connecting with the right people. And you talked about those, um, those, those certain situations where it holds them back. Now, one of those situations is the people around them. They go, oh, I don't know. How much do you know this person? Can you really trust this group? And all that kind of stuff. Even though they've already done all the due diligence, but people around them don't know what they don't know. Uh, they want to hold them back saying, hey, we want to keep you safe. Don't take the risk. For you, did you go through that phase where, okay, I'm going from being, being a geologist over to become a real estate investor? Was there anybody in your life that goes, mm, I don't know, you spent so much time working on this profession. Why don't you stick with it? It's going to get better. It's going to get better. Um, not a lot. Maybe a few people in my life were kind of like, don't, you know, don't make stupid decisions. You know, you've got a good thing going here. Um, but I'm kind of stubborn. And when I set my mind on something, I usually don't let people talk me out of it. Um, so I've been lucky. Everyone's been really supportive. 
And I think most of the people in my life have just wanted me to be happy and they trust that I know what I'm doing. So I, I'm fortunate in that way because I know there's other people out there with maybe a spouse or other family members that make it really hard for them to make the jump or switch directions. Um, but I've been pretty lucky. <laughs> what would you tell people who are uh, who are facing those situations? Um, I think, you know, showing examples. So the people that are, you know, trying to keep you safe by holding you back, maybe sharing some of the reasons why you're excited, um, sharing some of the due diligence that you've done, saying, look, this isn't just a spur of the moment thing. Here's the research I've done. Here's why I trust this. Here's what I think I can achieve for myself. And here's maybe some of the steps I'm willing to take so that I don't make a mistake. Like maybe I'm going to keep working my job while I venture into this. That way I've got a backup plan, things like that. It's usually just a communication issue. Right. And eventually they'll turn around and ask you for advice. <laughs> yeah. Once you start showing success, they'll probably change your mind. Exactly. Um, something you're really, really good at is uh, dealing with bank notes, mortgage notes. Um, how did that come about and why did you go that route? Yeah, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting good at it. So um, this is something I've started doing the last three years that I'm really excited about. And it was a gradual transition um, because I'm Canadian. I still live in Calgary, but all of my business has been in the States. So there's that constant challenge of being remote, right? And so I've done a lot of real estate wholesaling. I've done some fix and flips and things like that, as you mentioned. But a lot of those do depend on having boots on the ground and, and having a lot of relying on a lot of other people or traveling a lot. And with COVID, obviously, that made traveling really difficult. And a lot of things changed. And so at one point, um, I got more into the idea of owner financing houses instead of doing a fix and flip or, or wholesaling the whole deal to another investor and taking a small chunk of profit. Um, I discovered some people that were doing owner financing. And what that is, is you can acquire a property and then instead of selling it or renting it, you can actually sell it with financing. And then the, this is to someone that might not be able to qualify for a traditional bank mortgage, right? Maybe they have poor credit or they're entrepreneurs, so they can't qualify, um, but they really want to be homeowners. So you can actually sell the house to them and then create a note. And so now you're the bank, they owe you monthly mortgage payments, and now you're collecting mortgage payments instead of rent. Mm -hmm. And I, I did that. And I really liked the idea because it was just so much less stress. You don't have all the, you know, the tenants and toilets that everyone talks about. Um, you're just getting that monthly check-in and you don't have to really worry about maintenance and that kind of thing and vacancies. And I really started to enjoy that. But one of the challenges was finding, you have to find the property first, then you got to find the borrower. And there's a lot of moving parts to that. And so I started looking for ways to just be the bank and um, meeting other people that have done it where they simply just buy the mortgage note from other lenders or banks and you, now you're the bank. So you don't have to worry about finding the property and all of the, all that stuff. The property's already there. The borrower's already there. They're paying. Now you're just the bank and they start paying you. Mm -hmm. And so what you're able to do, and this is especially in the States, is um, a lot of times banks will sell off mortgages, especially if the borrower is non-performing, which means that they haven't been making their payments. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times banks will sell off those mortgages for pennies on the dollar, like 50, 60 cents on the dollar kind of range, um, maybe up to 70. And so you can buy these notes from the banks at big discounts because they, they're in the business of collecting interest. They don't want to mess around with borrowers and foreclose and all of it, right? So they'd rather sell it at a discount to an investor like you or me 
and then have us deal with it. And they just get, they can lend that money out again, right? Especially now when interest rates are so high. And so what someone like you and me can do when you buy a note like that is work with the borrower. We have the capacity to, you know, reach out to them directly, figure out what their problem is and why they haven't been able to make their payments. And maybe you can work with them, change the payment schedule around or, or help them to get back on track so that they can keep their house and get paying you again. And so you have that one-on-one -on -one ability that large banks just can't do, right? So you can help people keep their homes. You can make a nice return on your money because you bought this mortgage at such a cheap price, but they still owe the full mortgage amount once you get them paying again. So it's a nice, nice investment strategy. And then if they don't get paying, you can always foreclose mm -hmm. and take the property back or sell it off. So. Um why is this strategy not something that um, that happens in Canada? I know it's because the banking systems are a little bit different, but why why is the banking systems here don't allow something like this to happen? You know what? I actually know so little about Canadian real estate, <laughs> despite being a Canadian. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's even possible. I haven't met anyone that's bought notes. I know you can do vendor takebacks or owner financing in Canada. But it's, I, I've never really come across people that are buying mortgages from other banks. Right. So now, I really don't know. <laughs> uh, going back to your uh, the reasoning with uh, mortgage notes and whatnot and the strategy of it, you have to deal with a lot of either no motivated sellers or motivated people to to be, to be able to to put these things together. Now, were you always somebody who was able to communicate well, uh, or is that something you work with? Because I know a lot of people who are shy. And you go, oh, what? I have to talk to people like this. I have to uh, convince them of that. Was that something you worked on? And if if so, how did you how did you work on it? How did you practice? How did you uh, get that skill set? Um, no, so it's definitely just been practice. I I still think it's something I need to work on. But negotiation is a tough thing for some, most people. And I think one of the things is just to keep doing it. Just keep talking to to sellers, home homeowners. And um, one of the biggest things that I've done for myself or investments I've made is something called REI Sales Academy. Um, you can Google it. It's in the States. Um, it used to be owned by a guy named John Martinez. He's recently sold the company. But if you're looking at real estate sales training as far as negotiating with homeowners to get more deals, it's absolutely amazing um, what, the, what you'll learn. They usually do like a three-day workshop or two, two or three-day workshop. And it's the best money I've ever put into any kind of real estate trading in my entire career. Um, and so I use a lot of the, the strategies that they teach you there. And what it basically is, is just asking questions and listening. It's really what it is, is you get the seller talking and ask them the right questions so that you can just start hearing where their motivation is. What do they want to achieve by selling the house? What problems is owning this house causing in their lives, right? Whether it's financial or relationship problems or whatever. And listening to all of it and asking the questions to keep them providing you information. And then you can solve their problems by structuring your offer to, to solve all those problems. And then if you present it the right way so that they can see all the boxes that you're ticking for them, solving all the problems and getting them where they want to go. A lot, a lot of times it's not about price. It's about the problems that they have and how you can solve them. And you can get more deals that way. Now, when, when dealing with mortgage notes and those types of deals, are there, what are some of the key things that you look for that you go, okay, that's, that's going to, that's going to work uh, from a non-performing or a performing type of scenario. And like uh, some rough numbers, I know all deals are different and I know it's not, uh, it's not all the same, 
But what's your what's that sweet spot that you can usually go, okay, that's gonna work? Yeah. So when I buy notes, obviously I'm limited to the amount of capital that I have to buy notes. And then once that's all deployed, I still want to keep going. So I always use other people's money as well. Uh, we work with a lot of private lenders that want a nice return on their money, but maybe they don't have the skill or the time to go and find their own deals. And so we work with people that have retirement accounts and things like that. And so I have to make sure that I pay them a good return on their money. And so I have to make sure the deal itself has enough return so that I can pay them a nice uh, return on their money as interest. And then also have something for me in my company, right? So usually if it's a performing note, which means that the borrower has been paying for at least you know six to 12 months, um, a lot of sellers of notes, they want to be selling at 70, 80, 90%, even par. So par means the amount that's owing on that mortgage note, that's what they're going to sell it for. We always want to buy it at an amount below what the borrower owes on the note. Um, and so I'm looking typically for around 14 to 15% return. And so what that means is if I figure out what I paid for it and I look at what the interest rate is and what the monthly payment is, if I can figure out what return I need based on what that monthly payment is, and if it has to be 15% or 14% in order to buy that performing note. Does that make sense? It's kind of hard yeah, to explain. No, that makes sense. Uh, double digits returns is always yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. And then on a non-performing note, um, I have to look at the payment history. And a lot of note sellers, they should always have a record of the payment history. So you can see when the borrowers made their payments in at least the last two years. And if they haven't made any payments at all, they're probably done. Like something's going on. They've, they've given up. And that's probably a foreclosure situation where you buy the note and then hire an attorney to foreclose on the, on the loan. And um, but those scenarios, you don't want the same person back in, right? Yeah. Well, they, they're, yeah, you want them out. Okay. And that's your right as a lender. Um, but if they've shown signs, like maybe they're making sporadic payments or partial payments, like they're just showing that they're trying, but they just haven't got there yet to get caught up. And COVID's a great example, right? Like so many people were laid off and, and whatnot. So a lot of people were in trouble, right? And now they're back on track, they're back to working and now they're behind, right? But they're trying. And so those are ideal candidates for getting them performing again. And so usually, like I said, you can offer, you know, 40, 50, 60 cents on the dollar. Um, and because the banks, they're not paying enough to for the banks to be happy. And so they'll sell it off. And then you're going to get even higher returns on those if you can get them performing again. So now we're looking at, you know, 14 to 20% return that if you do it right. And then again, if they don't get performing and back on track and you do have to foreclose, then you want to make sure that the amount owing on that loan and your purchase price of that loan, there's enough profit in there so that once you take it to the foreclosure auction, you're going to get the full amount that's owing to you on that loan. Um, so say that they owe 100,000 and you buy it at 70,000. So you buy the note for 70, but they owe 100 and you foreclose. Well, you're going to get paid that full 100 back when you foreclose, as long as the property is worth over 100,000, right? That you know it's going to sell for that amount. So right. I hope I explained that. It's kind of complicated. <laughs> it's hard <laughs> to draw it out, but. No, it's it's very very good. Well 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 explained. Uh, when there's some people out there who goes, okay, I really want to do this. They want to go in and and purchase these properties, purchase these notes. But then they also go, wait wait a minute. This person here, Cal's already been doing this for so long. He's got a team in place. How do I compete with that? How do I know that I could get something that's 
that's still good or just the stuff that is left behind from big investors and people already in it? it can they even compete with that? Yeah, that's one of the reasons that I like this space. Um, when I was just buying houses and wholesaling a lot, I found that the competition was just increasing and increasing just with you know, YouTube and everything that's out there for people to learn. Um, it was getting really hard to find deals. And the note space is surprisingly not that populated with co competitors. Uh, it's all about just expanding your network of, we call them asset managers. And these are the people at banks that handle the assets and would be selling off the ones that are non-performing or they're the ones that handle the sale of notes between banks. And you can use LinkedIn or even just cold calling banks. And there's a specific title, a job title that you want to be asking for. Um, I usually ask for either the secondary marketing department or the special assets department. And you can even search on LinkedIn, just special assets as the job position. And then you can choose your state. You want to make sure it's USA uh, and just start networking with folks. So I spend a little bit of time every day just growing my network of asset managers. And a lot of times they don't have anything to sell off. Uh, or if they do, maybe they, they need a higher price than you're willing to pay. But the bigger you can grow that network, the more opportunity you're going to have. Mm -hmm. And I find that when they do send me lists of notes that they're selling, we call them tapes. Um, a lot of times there's not a, a ton of other bidders. There might be sometimes a few people that outbid me, but a lot of times there's not a lot of other people bidding on those same lists. Is, so, is it the same people over and over again? Like, ah, I remember. You don't really know. They usually won't tell you who it is. Um, but I, I was surprised to find how easy um, it's been as far as other co other competitors. Right. And even the other way to look for notes is there's actually platforms like online websites um, that you can go to that sell notes off to note investors. And I thought for sure those would be just swamped with competition and junk, like you said. And sometimes there is junk on there, but I've actually been able to buy notes surprisingly without getting outbid and at a good price that made sense for me. So very cool. Um, you mentioned before that uh, COVID was a challenge. Um, and I know that investing in the States, you're facing other challenges too, floods and, and uh, hurricanes and all that kind of stuff. And you've gone through a few of those. So what was your, how, how did you overcome like the COVID thing? How did you navigate through that? And then also when it comes to like the hurricanes, the floods, how did you navigate through that when you had to go back and forth dealing with um, some of the homes that were, were in trouble? Yeah, um, well, I'll start with the, the hurricanes because I was investing in Houston when Hurricane Harvey hit. And that was tough on obviously hundreds and well, thousands of homeowners. Uh, a lot of investors got into a lot of trouble as well. Um, we had some houses that flooded. Luckily, we did have flood insurance, but it still was had a big impact on my business. Um, and it created a lot of opportunities as well because so many homes were impacted. And the one good thing about, well, one of the good things about being an investor is you can be in a position to help people where other, like, you know, the MLS and realtors and things like that might not be able to help homeowners is because, you know, they're, they're just in a different space and real estate investors have the ability to be creative and come up with solutions for people that they might not be able to get elsewhere. And so it was actually a really great time to be able to help all these people that had, you know, no flood insurance, their homes flooded that they were not supposed to, because it was the biggest flood in history of that area. Um, and so a lot of real estate investors will, were able to provide solutions that these homeowners couldn't find anywhere else. So yeah, it hurt a lot, but there was a lot of opportunity that came with it. And that's usually the case, right? Um, you know, you get into situations where even in COVID, 
you know, things aren't working, but if you're willing to adapt uh, and look for, look for opportunities, maybe different niches that you can fill. Um, a lot of times these big things like pandemics and floods and hurricanes and everything can bring a lot of opportunity for real estate investors. If you can maybe shift your strategy or target a different group of people or think about ways you can find a solution for them that they're not going to be able to get by calling up a realtor. Right. Now you've worked with some of the, uh, some lot, like some mentors, you're still working with uh, coaches and mentors yourself. Is there one specific advice that a mentor's given you that you could pinpoint and go, wow, that one really changed the course of where I am today? Hmm. That's a good one. I think the, the main things I've learned from all of my mentors is number one, take action wherever you're at. Um, it doesn't have to be perfect. I'm a bit of a, a perfectionist, um, but I've had to learn that spending all your time making your website absolutely perfect and all those little details really don't matter. I've noticed that some of the most successful real estate investors, <laughs> they dress, you know, grubby t-shirts and jeans and, you know, their message, their postcards are just like handwritten, like you're like, maybe even not even spelled right but they take action and they get the job done and they're not worried about all that stuff. And they do more than some people that have to have everything perfect. So I think one of the things is stop making excuses and wherever you're at, that's a good place to start and realize that it's kind of like pushing this boulder down a hill at first. It's very hard to get it going. It barely moves. And then it goes faster and faster and faster. And that's by taking action. Uh, the other one I, I like that's stuck in my head from one of my mentors is you can't go broke at a profit. So sometimes, you know, you're, everyone's looking for home run deals, right? But, you know, if you're, as long as you're making some kind of profit, you're going to be ahead, right? So if that just means like, maybe you can't get the deal done, but maybe you could wholesale it even for a thousand bucks to your, your other real estate investor friend, or maybe you got to take a little bit less to help these people out to get the deal done, but you're still making a profit and it doesn't always have to be a home run. It's all about just generating even small returns on your deals. Uh, when it comes to investing, you require the left mind, the right mind, creativity, analytical. Uh, is there a deal that comes into mind where it's the most creative deal that, that you've you've done and something that you love sharing? Um, yeah, well, one of the things I love about real estate is the the mix of both creativity and analytics. Um, I would say just just different kinds of problem solving. Um, I used to buy a lot at the property tax foreclosure auctions. And so you're going in and looking at these properties that have been vacant for a long time. And, you know, if you can get into them or look through the windows and seeing just how much of a disaster they are and like having to craft your bid to account for all of those things is kind of fun. Um, I had one deal where we got a house under contract and then like a week later, the owner went to jail and like <laughs> I had no idea what to do. And so we ended up figuring out how to close the entire deal with her in jail and it wow. ended up being a really profitable deal, but like couldn't get access to the house suddenly and just so many challenges that came with it. But, you know, just I, now I know what to do and how to figure that problem out. And it wasn't that bad, but I love how each deal has a different challenge. Um, and you, you don't know what you don't know until it happens. And then you, now you're a better real estate investor if you can overcome that. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, that's the part I love about it is every deal is a new, new learning experience. What was that feeling like when you found out the person was in jail? Like, where were you? Were, were you sitting down? Were you going for a run? What, well, what happened? 
<laughs> I think I was actually down in Texas at the time and we'd, we'd met her a couple of days later and then we were trying to get, I don't know, a realtor or a contractor to do some quotes and like no one would, someone opened the door and they were like in a complete like drugged out trance and they're like, yeah, she went to jail last night and we were like, well, who are you? And like so some transient person was in the house and we're like, oh my gosh, like how are we going to get this done? and not even knowing like how to find which jail she was in and how to contact her and you know but asking professionals again like uh, other real estate uh, investors and attorneys and stuff we ended up figuring it out but it was just like my heart sunk because like now what the heck are we gonna do like we were so screwed <laughs> <laughs> but but we figured it out and then it was a good deal so cool um, for, for people who wants to get into real estate, uh, wh whether it's banknotes or uh, buy, fix and flip, whatever it is in real estate, uh, what would you recommend their first few steps be? Um, first couple of steps, I think definitely getting a mentor of some kind. And that doesn't have to mean like a paid mentor. Maybe it does, but just having someone that you can talk to. So it could be another real estate investor in your market, in your city. Um, just someone that you can say, Hey, like if I have trouble with this deal, would you be willing to look at it? Even just to give you the confidence that, you know, you're making the right decisions mm -hmm. and maybe you do have to pay them something. Maybe you have to take them out for dinner or maybe they get part of the profit. Right. But I think having someone to kind of hold your hand, uh, to get started is really important. And the, the profit that you may have to give up to them to pay them, those dollars are so well worth spending. Even if you're not making anything on the deal. Just having that person there to guide you, you're going to be so much smarter and better off and it's going to save you from really costly mistakes. So I think that's the, the main thing is getting some kind of mentor or someone to, to look up to. Great. And let's say if we put you on the world stage, you have a few moments to share with the world one message that you want everybody to remember Cal for, what would that message be? Oh my goodness. That's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> be good. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I think, I think it would just be take action. Um, you only, we have a really limited time on this, on this planet, all of us, and you really need to stop and think about what you want to create in your life and what's holding you back and just don't settle. I think is a lot of people settle. They, maybe they don't have the confidence in themselves or they think that what they have right now is all they can ever achieve. And that's really not true. You got to find big goals that are scary and hard. You need to take action to get to them and learn how to solve problems. And you can create really amazing things if you're willing to, to realize that we only have one shot at this and it doesn't last long. Yeah. So. Good words to live by. Uh, before I let you go, I know you got a lot of stuff on go and uh, lots of properties to look at. Um, I got five quick questions for you. Give me the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, strand on a deserted island, one food to eat for the rest of your life. No consequence. What would that be? No consequence. One food to eat for the rest of my life. Oh, man. Sorry. Um. Oh, let's go with butter chicken and uh, coconut rice. <laughs> um, you're going on a road trip. Uh, you get to pick, let's say, three guests to be in your car. Fictional characters. Who would they be? Fictional. Um, oh my God, geez, this is hard. Does everyone have trouble answering these? <laughs> I was thinking of like real people, but fictional characters. 
Um, okay, let's go with um, Aragorn from Lord of the Rings. And, uh, oh, so I have little kids. So King Julian, who is a lemur from the Madagascar show. <laughs> and the third one, oh, man. I'm, let's just move on. <laughs> well, you got you got your entertainment, and you also got your protectors. So it's yeah. all good. <laughs> um, Hollywood calls and go, hey, Cal, we love your story. Uh, we would love to do a biopic on you. And you get to choose who plays you in the movie. Oh, boy. Okay. Let's go with... Uh, Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> <laughs> I did not expect. But he that. has to be funny. Can't <laughs> he can't be serious. Great. So Zach, Zach shows up at your door and goes, "Hey, buddy, I got casted to play you in your in the movie. Uh, let's hang out. Let's get to know each other. What is your amazing night with Zach? Like, what's the? Where are you taking him to? What are you do? You guys doing? And then also, what's that special dish that you're gonna provide for him for dinner? Oh my gosh. Um, okay. But Zach Galifianakis, man, I don't know. Um, well, I love, I love baseball. So we would definitely go to some MLB game and then, um, long walks on the beach. No, this is tough, man. Um, what would I make two ferns? <laughs> yeah. Between two ferns, I would, I would make him interview me in between two ferns style. Cause it's the funniest thing ever. And then, um, what meal? So I would have to make it. Yeah. Oh, gee. Um, okay, I would make. Uh, I would make chili rellenos, even though I'm not that good at making them, but uh, I like <laughs> them a lot. They're delicious. So. Well, my my last question before I get to that, give me a number from one to five. Eight. One to five. You're gonna give me eight. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's what I'm giving you. Come on, figure it out. Uh, how about uh, two? One, two. Okay, so if you had to relate success to corn, yep. How is success like corn? Um, corn like with the C or with a K? Because the band I could do a lot easier than the the with a C. <laughs> okay. Um, success like corn. Well, um, at first you got to peel back all the all the bullshit layers that you don't want to eat. <laughs> So you got to find the the golden kernels that are inside of you, uh, and in order to do that, sometimes you got to do a lot of self work, and uh, you got to peel back all the the husk and get all those little stringy things out of the way that are stopping you. So obstacles, mental issues, confidence, all that stuff, in order to get the uh, the golden delicious kernels. And then you want to make it even better by finding the butter and salt, and sometimes that's uh, having a big goal to get to to add that to the corn. How about that nicely done so that's how success is like corn um thank you very much for your time it was a lot of fun Thanks, uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you to learn more from you to uh to you know just to to chat yeah to chat um so if you go to www.talkwithcalewing.com uh, that's a good way to schedule a call with me as i mentioned we work with uh folks on real estate deals and i also just love talking real estate so if you have any issues or questions about especially uh, investing in the U.S. as a Canadian or about note investing, happy to get on a call. And you can just go to uh, caluing.com as well. Awesome. Thank you. Um, any last words from you? 
No, this is a lot of fun. Uh, you threw me a lot of unexpected curveballs here, Fong. So uh, thanks for that. Um, it's been uh, it's been a good time, and I'm really happy to be on your show. Appreciate awesome. it. Well, thank you very much. Everybody else, make sure you connect with Cal. Uh, jump onto his YouTube channel. He has a lot of great content there. Uh, get to his website. He has a lot of stuff there as well. Um, obviously, somebody who's really good at real estate, somebody who's who could guide you along to invest in, in the States with notes um, if you're in Canada. Uh, so definitely a lot of people are interested in that. So make sure you connect with Cal. Uh, until next time, he is Cal. My name is Fong Chuan. Until next time, today is the day to lock your peak potential. We'll see you later.